Morgan here with a couple of my colleagues, Matthew Dawkins. Hello. Hello. And Danielle Lozon. Hello. 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 Yeah, can I just do that? Just, just be riffraff? <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Indeed. yes. I, I won't carry on with the, the line. But as you know, I played riffraff <laughs> in my college years. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I played Columbia. Yep. It was, we were I fated was... to work together, Dixie. <laughs> I was the only uh, person who had any training in tap dancing on the cast. Which well, is that funny would help with Columbia. Yeah. yeah, but you're shadow casting, so you don't have to actually make the tap sounds. Like, mm. I wasn't wearing tap shoes, because you have to wear them the whole fucking show. Yeah. I was wearing things that looked like tap shoes, but they weren't. Mm. Um, anyway, that's not, what this, that's not what this episode's about. Mm-mm. We are we are doing a holiday mailbag. A few of you have sent us questions. Some people have sent in multiple <laughs> questions. Uh, we are going to endeavor to answer them as best we can. Uh, we have quite a few of them, so we're probably going to get straight into it. Uh, I will be asking the questions, and we will all three be answering various questions. Um, and yeah, uh, where where people have given us their names, we will be crediting them. Aside from one name that I'm probably not going to say because it's it's rude. Oh, I can uh, see you've just highlighted that name. Yeah. Yes, probably not. Oh. Uh, I would oh. like you know to who you pay. are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? Troy. What? (laughs) Why did you say it? (laughs) Tom got no. Um, no. There is there is there is a a a rude phrase that I'm not going to say because I am a lady when I want to be. Not that has anything to do with being rude or not. It's just I channeled my grandmother for a second there. There you go. Uh, We can be mature (laughs) and serious, listeners. It's true. You know, we do have limits. (laughs) For your nonsense. I mean, Eddie and I will drop an F-bomb every, like, three words, but I will not say this phrase, so you can tell how bad it is. Ask me later, and I'll say it. And, and by ask me later, I mean the fans. They can ask me later. I'll yeah, tell them yeah, I'll, 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 I'll screenshot it and put it in the Bathcast channel if anybody really wants to know, but I'm not. I don't want to say it on air. It's fine. Mm. So let's get right into this. I might not ask these in any order. Uh, some of them, we've got questions about some of our games. We've also got questions about random things. Thank you, my friend Graham, for asking a bunch of these because they're kind of fun, you know? It's nice to get questions that aren't directly related to work sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be a, 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 a mixed mailbag today. Mixed bag. Uh, mixed bag mailbag. Um, so first off, let's just go with the very first question, which is anonymous because it's such a hard-hitting question. Mm. Um, <laughs> and that is, could we see a steampunk game for Story Path Ultra in the next few years? You fool, Anonymous. There already <laughs> is one. It's called Trinity Continuum Aether. Get with the program. That sounds right. That's not Ultra. Ultra. That's well, Story Path Prime. All right, fine. I take it back. You enlightened, invisible person. <laughs> um, so, could we see a steampunk game for Story Path Ultra? Quite possibly. Uh, Story Path Ultra has proved very versatile for the games we are applying it to right now and uh, there is no reason why it couldn't equally work for a steampunk setting so stay tuned it may may well happen uh, we haven't made any formal plans yet or formal announcements regarding mm-hmm. any transition of scion or trinity to or they came from to story path ultra though they came from the rpg anthology has story path ultra in it as an appendix so you can make the upgrade yourself um, so if aether ever gets ultrafied you will of course know mm-hmm. yeah it, it's definitely one of those things where like the answer for some of these questions will always be it'll be announced when it's announced if we're gonna do it because like we just don't we don't tell people our plans very far in advance until we're ready to announce a project. I mean, I like um, the idea. I like the idea yeah. of a steampunk ultra game. Uh, the I could see us playing with advantage quite well. I'm imagining sort of iron giants stomping across the land. Oh, man. Uh, that, that could be fun. Of course, <laughs> billowing steam in quite a, <laughs> quite a liberal fashion. Yeah, a B- BRB writing a a Ghibli style steampunk story path ultra game. Oh, Ghibli mm. steampunk would be so much fun. Wouldn't it? That would be so cute. Like I um, I like cozy games, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
let's be honest, Ghibli style games would be beautifully artistically like cozy looking and then it would be like some dunk on war or uh like some some exploration of grief or something mm. like that <laughs> i mean i do i love uh, i'm a very late convert to studio ghibli and this actually ties into our next question dixie if you want to ask it yeah i was gonna say that this flows perfectly in that um Awkward GM Corbin asks, how would you make a cozy game in the story path system? Well, we would get the license for Studio Ghibli. <laughs> yeah, sure would. Ghibli. It is Ghibli, I, I think. But, uh, it yeah. is, because in Japanese it's Ghibli. So, yeah. Oh, okay. That is why Ghibli. I know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. I only got into it in the last few years because I've been watching these movies with my son. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they are... You know, it's not news, but I think they're amazing. I'm, I'm excited. I haven't yet, but I'm going to go see The Boy and the Heron, and I'm very excited for it. Yes, I'm also yes, looking we, forward to that. We are planning to do that as well. And I, I know that whenever we're on a call with you, Matthew, uh, where there's video, I do always see your little Totoro right right next to you. Yep, that's right. I've got yeah. the Totoro. Uh, but how would we make a cozy game in Story Path? So, what would we change? So I think... One of the things, you know, right now we have the three areas of action, investigation, social, and combat. And to be fair, a lot of our games have a lot of mechanics that tie into combat. And I think for a cozy game, we would, combat would be like almost a secondary system. Um, uh, And it would not be to the death and it would not be to, it would be like, running for your life or trying, you know, convincing, you know, trying to, you do this as a last resort and not right. that, uh, not that there can't be any combat whatsoever, but it's not, um, it's handled in a way like you don't go into rounds. You maybe do, um, teamwork actions to accomplish, uh, dealing with stronger monsters or issues. Um, but for the most part, it's just a flat roll. Um, and then I would probably pump the social system up and I wouldn't turn it into rounds or I wouldn't have anything going into rounds. Um, but I think I would have the social system, um, pumped up a little more with a lot more like things you can do Mm. with your bonds, um, bond tricks, bond abilities, things that require you to, to form bonds with uh, strangers or something like that to be able to do certain special moves. Um, a lot of the powers would be based around your bond rating to people. Um, and then honestly, like the, the World Below's community, like settlement building subsystem, um, I would probably hack that into some kind of settlement building like community building type thing a la like stardew valley or animal crossing mm-hmm. where you're like inviting people to come stay in your settlement and trying to meet their needs and giving them gifts and tracking their pleasure or displeasure or frustration etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. um and keeping your settlement a happy place to be growing flowers fishing this is where the fishing mini game comes from yeah, I also think that if you're going to emulate Studio Ghibli specifically, you would also want a pretty robust investigation system. Yes, like absolutely. All the, all the movies I'm thinking of are, are heavy investigation because you're learning yes. about the world, or you're learning about the situation that you're in, whether you're Sophie at Howl's Moving Castle, or you're the girls in Totoro, or you're, you know... Um, the, the young girl turned it away. Like, yep. they're mm-hmm. all very much like... You are put in a situation and now you have to figure some shit out uh, yeah. so that you can get out of the situation or make the situation better. Yes, through diplomacy, uh, because there's the, uh, to stick with the Ghibli theme, there's the sort of Earthsea, Mononoke side of mm-hmm. wars, um, you know, of uh, it usually ignorant armies marching toward you, uh, being led by someone who is also ignorant or confused. 
and mm. more often than not those wars conclude with you appealing to the r rival general's hearts or their feelings or something like that showing them the truth of their actions rather than yeah. murderizing thousands of soldiers uh so you could to go back to what danielle was saying for a moment about the um settlement system the calm season in the world below you could still certainly have interventions uh intrusions as it were on your uh on your settlement that are of a hostile nature they don't always have to be kindly old ladies visiting with a basket full of magical plums but if it's a an oncoming army there should definitely be ways of solving that situation that don't involve mass combat right, right. instead you just turn into a giant bird airplane like Howl from Howl's yeah. movie. Yeah, or a water dragon. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that is how we would do that. Um, now, I didn't ask what is, has been traditionally in these, the first question, which is from our friend Zach, who is Zach Rules in the Discord, who always asks, how are y'all doing today? Ooh. Just a nice little, nice little question. How you doing? Wouldn't you like to know? Matthew... <laughs> I'll answer. Uh, <laughs> I I woke up to a phone call this morning. Well, so I woke up late to a phone call from some thing in Alabama that I didn't recognize. It, it mm. must be a different uh, area code than what I'm used to. And I didn't listen to it because I realized it was nine o'clock and that was the time I was supposed to be recording. And I was like, what the fuck happened to my alarm? And then I distinctly remembered, oh, yes, my alarm did go off. I looked at my phone. I set it back down. And then I must have passed right back out. Yeah, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a multi-alarm person for that exact reason. Like, I, I, I have to have, like, people laugh at me, but I, I, I have to have, like, five to ten alarms that go off in, you know, 15 it, to 30 minute increments to actually wake me up. It is such an abnormal situation for me to not wake up to my first alarm that I don't set another alarm. Whereas I, I, am, I am famous for listening to my first alarm and going right back to sleep. So yeah. like now, now I just have multiple alarms. I have to change what they play very often because my brain will get used to like one of the things that they play noise wise. I think it might be related to my ADHD, but I have, I have major trouble waking up. Um, even to multiple alarms sometimes. Uh, so that that said, I'm doing fine today. I've had a I'm I'm finishing my my coffee in a mug that says "This really dungeons my dragons." Don't know why we have this mug, but we do. Mm. And I've got I've got a cold drink for after my coffee. I'm doing fine. I've got a cozy cardigan on. My anniversary was yesterday, so I had a really good meal last night. Going out to one of our favorite local places. So yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I ate so much food. I I, I thought I might die. <laughs> Because they, they gave us a, a complimentary dessert. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was creme brulee. It was so good. Oh, that is the king of desserts. <laughs> it is one of my favorite desserts. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not not being facetious. I think creme brulee is up there. Uh, oh, I it's really once, good. Oh, yeah. I once had a dark chocolate creme brulee. Oh. And, oh my God. and it has stuck with me. Uh, it was in a restaurant opposite Harrods, that disgusting bastion of overindulgence <laughs> and i was miserable all the way around harrods my wife was this was before we were married was taking me around it because she'd always wanted to go and i was there just looking at ties that cost over a thousand pounds and another such ridiculousness and left in a state of anger <laughs> <laughs> um, based on, on income and we decided to go in a restaurant or as a cafe on the other side of the street and they did for dessert a triple creme brulee you got three three small creme brulees there was a normal one a white chocolate one and a dark chocolate one and i have never again in any restaurant ever had a dark chocolate creme brulee i've never seen it being offered but it was by far the best dessert i've ever had that just that sounds so good that I immediately mm. went and started looking up recipes for it online. No, I, I, I'm just I've like, made I have them. to make this. Yeah, I've made one. I've made them at home before, but it's never, never been the same. It's never been equal to the memory. Of 
Yeah, the one I had last night was a brown sugar creme brulee. And then I had like a little orange slices on top. Ooh. Ooh, I bet it- <laughs> so so how am I feeling today? Hungry. Hungry and full of dark chocolate creme brulee. Sadly not. Yeah, I I, I wish we all were. I am I am the only one who has any creme brulee in their system, I think. I'm I'm gonna make dark chocolate creme brulee with orange slices on it. <laughs> that would be really good. It sounds so good. Well, that that's how we're all doing today. We are we are creme brulee. Through this path cast, I'm gonna go cook myself some creme brulee. See you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna get this question out of the way uh, because people ask questions about uh, white wolf products fairly often when they talk mm-hmm. when they ask us mailbag questions. So. Uh, Dragos asked if we had any plans for further Werewolf Major Changeling 20th expansions like Kinfolk or Kinane. Um, Everything that we've done for for White Wolf or in partnership with Paradox has been announced at this point, I do believe. Is that correct, Matthew? You, you uh, well, for World of Darkness, certainly. I uh, can't speak for Exalted. But, right, yes. right, right. right. In, like World and Chronicles. Yeah, in terms of the 20th anniversary products, most certainly. Uh, there are no hidden books coming that haven't yet been announced. Things may change, things may always change, so we can't say this for a certainty, but the way we understand it, as of the end of 2023, uh, the books you know of are the books you're getting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know this is always a question, and... For what it's worth, we actually have a lot fewer questions about World of Darkness and Chronicles stuff. This mailbag, which is which is nice, because I hate like I hate disappointing people, and I feel like we're always just like, sorry, nothing. Yeah, but you know, you know, I I I like that people are asking about our game, our other games too. It's it's uh, it's good to see. That's what I'm saying. This is great. Mm. I like talking about Onyx Path stuff. So. On that note, Lewis or Louie, I'm not sure which one. I like the way you're jumping around the spreadsheet, Dixie. Yeah, because yeah, I'm just picking questions randomly. It's fun. Mm. Uh, Ask, what do you think sets Onyx Path games apart from the many RPG choices available today? What's so great about y'all, is what this guy said. We're extremely <laughs> gay. There you so go. gay. Yep. Uh, that's not, never a claim I've made about myself, so I'll let Danielle <laughs> make it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's other ones, but we're really gay. <laughs> I think uh, so. I don't. I know. I don't disagree. There's a, an awful lot of our teams have excellent representation uh, for all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, and I think that is a wonderful thing. I think it is absolutely fantastic that Onyx Path is so diverse in the makeup of our teams for, especially Scion. Uh, Scion mm-hmm. and Exalted are both yeah. uh, really well represented. Yeah, uh, I think one of the things that really sets Onyx Path apart is not so much a design thing, but in terms of our company standing or stance, it's how communicative we are with our fans, our customers. We have religiously released blogs every single week updating you as to what the company is up to we have religiously released a new product sometimes a book sometimes a piece of merch every single wednesday since the company's inception we provide routine updates to all of our crowdfunding campaigns we have a forum we have a discord a discord where you can speak to the game designers i honestly feel that makes a difference and it's not something a lot of companies do. Yeah, we're literally the only company that will hand you a manuscript the moment you back one of our crowdfunders. Mm-hmm. A fully playable game in manuscript form. No mm-hmm. other company does that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that we try really hard to be transparent. Um, we try really hard to be accessible, as as Matthew was saying, in terms of, you know, we, we are here to answer questions. I mean, we're doing this mailbag right now, which is based on listener questions. Um mm-hmm. And we are happy to answer most questions. There are some things that we just can't say and we're not going to be able to. But for the most part, like, I would say that most of the fans know, like, 85% of what we're working on at any given time. You know, yeah. it's, 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 there's, there's, there's always stuff that we're working on kind of in the background that we're not ready to talk about quite yet. But as soon as we're ready to talk about it, we'll talk about it, you know, yeah. um, and we'll talk about it far and wide and uh, and all over the place, whether it's Twitch, whether it's here on the podcast, whether it's the Discord, on the blog, 
like on 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 Reddit, on RPG Net, like we're we're all over talking about the stuff that we we're we're passionate about. Like, uh, for instance, currently there's someone doing a where I read uh, a Trinity anima thread on RPG Net, and I have alerts set up for it because I want to go see what people are talking about, you know, and I want to yeah. talk to them about it. Yeah, um, I do love those where I read threads. I think they oh, are a wonderful. Too, yeah. A wonderful tool for getting more people into a game and you know uh, from a purely uh, i guess mercenary perspective they're excellent marketing <laughs> uh the well, one thing in our game design that i think we haven't sold up enough of and this is especially the case in that they came from games is how versatile and how extensively play tested our story path and our story path ultra system are we have constructed a system and this is largely down to danielle thank you danielle mm -hmm. uh that can be what can used I say? But you're welcome. Well, I, I am. <laughs> That's why I thanked you. Uh, the <laughs> This is a system that we have now shown can be used across a whole heap of genres. And it not only supports them, it integrates with the worlds you're playing in. I know it's something we go back to often. We often remark upon how one of Rose Bailey's uh, philosophies as a game designer is that the system should essentially complicate and uh, complicate, complement and integrate with the game you're trying to play. They shouldn't just feel like a separate piece of structure that takes you out of the game. And I think StoryPath and StoryPath Ultra are really good at that, those, that particular thing, that objective. I feel we hit it with Scion, Trinity, they came from the mm. world below, and at the gates, which of course is coming up. So, yeah. Awesome. Kind of alongside that, um, Alan, one of our fans, asked, what was the decision process behind Scarredland's lore bits finding their way into the world below? Was that purely a Travis thing, or was that something no, that no, you... But... That was a myself and Rich Thomas thing. Okay. We own Scarred Lands, of course, outright, and there's an awful lot of the lore of the Scarred Lands that we are really big fans of, and we don't just mm -hmm. want to see restricted to Scarred Lands. Now, whether that means that Scarred Lands is part of the Earthbane cycle, which I think is the wider question here, is currently unknown to you, the fans you could certainly infer it from the fact that there are gods there are uh, ancestries there are certain elements of the world below that are uh, apparent in scarred lands too uh, and i guess time will tell on that count but yeah it was done with some thought we weren't just dropping easter eggs for people who are fans of scarn uh, there there is a connection there and it is intentional that's cool. Like I, I have not read all of uh, the world below, so I, I, I wasn't completely aware of all that. Aside from, you know, seeing that there were like the Antissia, who are kind of like some of the other, you know, ra player races and scarred lands, etc. Yeah, well, in the case of the ancestries, we try to make that pretty clear. I think it's in the world below chapter rather than the choosing your path chapter. You get some of the uh, alternative names for various things like ancestries, people from certain settlements and such. And the Antitsia have Asafi as an alternative name, I think. And at the very least, the, uh, the Makiru have under their various family names Slytherin as one of the most well-populated families of of the world below. So, yeah, uh, the, the link is there, and there's various of these uh, links dotted around the manuscript. So I don't think all of them have been found yet. That's awesome. That's exciting. Uh, so you've got two questions that both concern errata, so I'm going to kind of ask them at the same time. We can talk about them. Uh, okay. One is by... The Clairvoyant Maiden of the Midnight Pack, uh, which I added the definite article there. I'm not sure this is supposed to be, you know, an abyssal or a werewolf. So we're just going to go with that. <laughs> um, and also the, the, the other one is from Sari. 
Uh, so someone's the first person says recently backed products have errata forms, which are great for short term negative feedback, like grammar and clarity. We don't need negative feedback. We need positive feedback too. That's fine. Um, <laughs> but they asked how we wanted to receive like general or longer form feedback, like playtest experience, um, and what types are useful at different stages of development. Uh, and then Siri also asked the best way to find a writer for example, it's a, it's a search discord. Are we ever going to get an official live document compiled? And the, for the second question, I will just say the official live document is the final book usually. Yeah. Uh, Cause we incorporate yeah. all the errata that we plan to incorporate. That's there's, there's kind of no, like, uh, like if, if you're talking about the core book, that's not something that we ever planned to do. I don't think, cause that was done mm -hmm. by a different team. Um, yeah. and it was done a while back. Uh, but as far as all the books that we've made since then, like we've we've put some stuff in Crucible of Legend. Right, I was just about to say Crucible of Legend. Yeah, that'll clarify some some things <laughs> from the core. But then past that, we incorporate all the errata that we want to incorporate into all of our books. So the final book should have the errata incorporated for the most part. Uh, the only exception to that with our books has been Scion, and that's because of some funkiness that went on with the in copy process. Um, that was just unfortunate but the scion errata document is free on drive through rpg and uh, now what about the other one what, what what kinds of feedback are good at different stages in development and is there a way that we would actually want feedback because i know usually we solicit for it when we do want it and a lot of playtesting is done internally well uh, i'd like i'd like to say that the option and i'm sure it was written tongue-in-cheek here by clairvoyant maiden of the midnight pack discord rant no, those aren't <laughs> useful or desirable. Any kind of rant is not desirable. Uh, and if uh, we're not ultra sensitive to these things in the sense that if you start writing angrily, we will switch off. But I think it is fair to say if the feedback we receive is laced with disdain uh, for the work or for the creators, we are far less likely to take your opinion charitably. Uh, mm -hmm. because you're not treating us with respect. I, I'm sure that's not the case for Clairvoyant Maiden of the Midnight Pack, but the other options provided of blog posts and email both sound utterly fine uh, and and fair, in, in my view. What do you think, Danielle? So I definitely think that, you know, uh, blog posts, email, like, you know, I think one of the things that our fans don't think about is constructive criticism and constructive feedback. So, you know, even this, oh, short-term negative feedback, like grammar and clarity, that's not negative. It is constructive. No. Yeah. Uh, constructive feedback is, hey, this thing isn't working. Here's, you know, either here's a way to fix it or I don't know how to fix it, but this isn't clear to me for whatever reason. This is, mm -hmm. you know, it's being misinterpreted. I, we don't necessarily always need for the fans to come up with a way to solve the problem that they're having. 90% of the time, if, the, if one fan is having a problem parsing something or a mechanic isn't working properly or something along those lines, just pointing out that this is being an issue mm -hmm. is enough for us to say, okay, well, if one person has that issue and is voicing it, that there are dozens of others who are also having that issue. Let's figure out what the source of that issue is, and then we can maybe fix it. Now, if you're talking about like Exalted Third Edition Core Book, which was released ten years ago, and there are some mechanical <laughs> not, not issues. Not quite, but close. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, hyperbole, okay? Uh, if you're if you're digging into that kind of thing, and you're like, oh, I'd love to, you know, give some feedback onto that, you can. But how useful that is to us right now is very minimal, just because we're not going to create an errata document for that core book. We're, we're, you know, we will make changes to the fat splats and certain rules in the fat splats to make them more clear or to make mm -hmm. them, you know, play a little better together or to make them meatier or whatever. But we can't go back in time and fix the core, and we're not going to release a live document of errata, you know, fix this, change this, whatever, because we find that most people who pick up a book to play with it don't find that errata sheet. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not, it doesn't add a whole lot of user usability to the book itself. And it's a lot of effort with no, not a lot of payoff for most of the fans. So yeah. 
so those kind of things, but if you, if you pick up a, a, a backer, you know, a backer copy of something and the, the backer kit or the Kickstarter or whatever is, is over. So the errata form is closed. You're doing play testing. The book's not out yet. And you're finding, oh man, we found this thing or, you know, my players don't understand it or they're using it wrong every single time. And we can't actually figure out how to use it. Email us, let us know that we will take that into consideration. And you don't have to be like, oh, this is how I think it should work. You could tell us how you think it should work based on what we've written. And we're like, okay, cool. That is what we intended. So you've got it right, but it's not clear to everybody else. Or, oh, you've got it so wrong. We did not convey what we wanted to convey well enough. Yeah. That's how we'll parse that. So I think feel free to shoot an email to, do, don't, do we have some kind of, catch-all customer support email uh, i think so i think on if you go to the contacts or about section of the onyxpath.com there are several emails there and uh, you can use yeah. pretty much any of them and they will get to the right place yeah but and also, we do do keep in mind that i i know that daniel just said like if you're playtesting with a manuscript you are not playtesting if we didn't ask you to playtest or That's if true. you didn't approach us and sign an nda and stuff like that um because we we do have, you know, we we thank our playtesters in all of our books that that have playtesters. We try to make sure that like we are actually soliciting the feedback that we need from them and saying mm -hmm. like, hey, can you look at th these mechanics? Like when we play test internally, uh, for instance, I've done some stuff for Realms of Pugmire before that came out. Mm -hmm. uh, we did some stuff for Anima, mm -hmm. and a, a lot of playtesting isn't playing the game. A lot of playtesting is going, can you make characters at X X and X level? How do they play? Can you roll these dice a few times and see what results you get and see how it works? Can you read this paragraph and tell me what you think it means? You know, like it's 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 specific stuff. Um, like for the realms of Pugmire playtesting that I did, we didn't play Pugmire. We rolled characters on the random generation table because that's what Eddie was testing was to see if that table made sense. Mm -hmm. So like while we are totally cool with you, you know, playing off a manuscript. That is not official playtesting. However, if you have feedback from a game you are playing with that and want to email us or talk to us on the Discord, as Matthew said, as long as it is not mean. <laughs> and that's how, once again, not, not against this person specifically. But some people find a rule or something that is unclear to them and their immediate reaction is like, these people don't know how to design games. This game is broken. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, we just probably could clarify the wording. like. Mm -hmm. we, we all know how to design games we've been doing it for a hot minute <laughs> mm -hmm. so to come in and, and insult the creators is, is is bad form and it happens mm -hmm. more often than you would think like i have gone through errata forms because for for a long time i was in charge of the, all the errata forms and that meant that i saw them before the developers did right and there were many times that i would go through and just delete meanness out of feedback that didn't need to be there because I didn't want the devs to see it. Like, even if the feedback was valid, I would reword it before the devs saw it. Because I was like, that's just rude. Like, why would you say that? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we like constructive feedback. I don't, no one likes negative feedback. No one likes you just be like, this sucks. And that's, that's all you say. You know, that's, that's, that's not fun for anybody. Uh, yeah, we got some, uh, rather unpleasant feedback on the world below as well. It wasn't even about the quality of the game. It was just someone using the form as a chance to be an asshole. Uh, and the good news is that doesn't get to me because I can just delete their comment and never read it again. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, uh, like 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 uh, Matthew was saying earlier, you have a much lower chance of your comment being received if it's wrapped in negative meanness. Yeah. <laughs> because like the, like I, I start seeing somebody saying something mean, and I immediately am just like, nope, not reading all that. Mm. Uh, and that means that maybe your actual good feedback might be ignored. Yeah, I'm more likely to swallow my medicine in a nice coating of pancetta than I am if it's coated in bile. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I just love you going for pancetta. I'm sorry, I was very like, what? Well, at you first I thought... 
Well, uh, you know, I was thinking, should I go Mary Poppins with a spoonful of sugar? Which should is what I, I assumed go, you were doing. Yeah, should British I go man. for full-blown bacon? But then I thought, nah, you know what, I actually fancy some cured, uh, some hams, you know. I think a nice slice of pancetta right now, or maybe some chorizo, that could be nice. I'd wrap my medicine in chorizo. You could put your medicine in a dark chocolate creme brulee. Oh no, that that probably ruin the taste. That's the thing. I think the salt of the dried meat would would probably help a little. Medicine oh. and a salami. Anyway, what's next? That was that was a little heavy. So let's go for one of our kind of funny questions. You have become supreme ruler of Earth. What is your first edict? Asks Graham Gintz. So you don't want a heavy answer here. <laughs> I mean, I think that a lot of the answers of our real world political leanings would be pretty yeah. heavy. Play more yeah. games, people. People abolish you, billionaires. Yes, play more games. You will you will find a lot more joy in your life, a lot more chance, many more chances to relax, and you will meet more people if you play more games. And I don't just mean with people you already know, although that is fantastic too. Strengthen the relationships you already have, definitely, but the fact that we do the start playing day every single month is an opportunity just the same as the onyx path discord is an opportunity just the same as my patreon uh, there you go is an opportunity to play games for people you don't already know and that means you will get to enjoy experiences you've not had prior you may make new friends though that shouldn't be your objective and more than anything else, it gives you a chance to relax and take your mind off the hell of the world around you. Uh, the, I think there's a lot of people who are reticent to play online games with people they don't know because they think they're going to be embarrassed or embarrassing, that they're going to meet people they don't like, or that they don't know the games well enough. Something I always say about advertising games on things like Start Playing, or yourself as a player, is if you're unsure, advertise that you are new to a game. You would be amazed at how many people want to start games specifically with people who are new to it. If you, That's as a GM, well. say, I want to run Scion for the first time, so I'm going to be working through the game, and I would love it if you worked through it with me, you will attract players to your group who are all basically learning the same thing at the same time. You will all make mistakes, but you will make them together, mm -hmm. and that means you will learn how not to make them together. And that is how you make a strong gaming group and hopefully a uh, decent friendship out of it as well. Uh, it's, I would argue, a better tactic almost than going in and saying, I know this game back to front. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one is an experience learning a game together. Two is a different kind of experience, essentially being able to sit back and know that the person story guiding knows it all. Um, mm. But I think both experiences are valid. So play more games is my supreme edict. <laughs> I like how your edict was like friendly advice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you Jesus said we were too Christ. heavy. You said we were too heavy with the well, previous. Well, well, I mean, so like that, 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 that's the thing. As I said earlier, if you go by our personal politics, most of our supreme edicts would be incredibly heavy proclamations <laughs> about, you know, equality and abolishing certain systems and abolishing billionaires and trying to, you know, fix a lot of broken things. Mm. But I would abolish landlords. I would love to abolish landlords. I do not like my property management company because I, 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 I don't even have a landlord. I have a, a corporation that I give money to. Well, um, see, now things are going to get heavy again, aren't they? But, but, <laughs> let's go. So, I always ask this question when people talk about, like, the, like, lottery winning question, right? And they're like, what are you mm. for the lottery? I'm like, okay, so put all the practical stuff aside. Get rid of all the stuff that okay. you would do okay. that would that 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 would make everything better. So, because I'm not going to say like buy a new car, get more dental work done, you know, all that stuff. What's the first fun frivolous thing you would do? <laughs> so, let's say what's the, your first fun frivolous edict after you fix everything else because you're the supreme ruler of Earth and you can do that. Oh man, we're we're going to fucking space. Yeah, yeah, like we're building a generation ship and going where. Out into the world, in the world I mean space. 
We're going to find. <laughs> All right, Scion. We're going to find a habitable planet elsewhere just to just to check it out. Like, we don't need to flee Earth. I'd still want Earth, you know, hanging out. I just want to find other places. Let's mm -hmm. Spread our blight to another planet. <laughs> what Calm <happened>? down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can leave me on Earth. <laughs> we have, oh, believe me, we're going to. You don't get to go to space with us. You, well, that's right. You don't have we'll a space in my game. generation's ship. Now, let's not forget, supreme ruler of the Earth. You leave, you're nothing. Here, I'm not you're a leaving. Ruler. I'm uh, I'm building a generation ship and sending people out. I'm not going. Oh, just the people you don't like. So that's where the billionaires and landlords are going. You're saying, no. oh yeah, 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 sure. In <laughs> in twenty, let's say twenty months, twenty weeks, you'll reach a habitable <laughs> planet. Bye. Bye. And then, and then we get on with things. Then we play some games. I'm here for that. All right. What's the next question? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, that was a fun thing. It wasn't fun. Uh, also from Graham, what's a local fact about where you grew up or where you live? Do you have a cool local fact? Okay. Uh, so where I grew up, I I lived in, in, my, in the village in which I lived. I was a mile away from where nuclear warheads were being stored. But that's not that interesting. But the city near where I live, uh, of course, Stonehenge happens to be there. That's a fairly historical, historically important uh, thing. And there's a castle where Eleanor of Aquitaine, fairly famous, powerful woman of the Middle Ages, most of them have been written out of history, but she's managed mm -hmm. to cling on, was imprisoned in a moment where she was less powerful. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, and of course, we've got the cathedral, I think, with the tallest spire. That's what those Russian spies that came to Salisbury who uh, tried to poison the guy with Novichok said they were coming to see um, <laughs> where, when when questioned about it. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And of course, the Novichok nerve, nerve attack happened in, in Salisbury as well. So, yeah, lots of things happen here. It's always so funny to ask that question to a mixed bag of Americans and Europeans because the people from, you know, the UK or 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 Europe are like are like, "Oh, I have history from 1200 years ago." Like, yeah, that's you that's without. true. I've just re I've just recited facts <laughs> going back about maybe over 3000 years. <laughs> and I'm like, "Uh, some people were born here in the 1900s." <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> What about you, dear? Do you have, do you have, do you have any cool facts about where you grew up or where you currently yeah. live? Uh, about where I grew up, I, I don't know shit about Austin, Texas. Even though I've been living here for five years, um, it's I don't know music capital of the world. Uh, it at least they claim that is, and they keep it weird. That's all I know. Anyway, but Mobile, okay. Alabama, where I was born <laughs> and raised, uh, was actually the first like French capital in the United States, or the colonies, as they called it, when the French oh. came and colonized, mm. um, for about Les 20 colonies. years. Yeah, for about 20 years before they moved it to New Orleans, it was in Mobile, um, which means that my city of Mobile looks, it, like the downtown area, looks exactly like New Orleans, because it was built by the same freaking people. Mm -hmm. um, and we had Mardi Gras before New Orleans did, because they were there first. So that's my fun fact about where I grew up. I have so few fun facts about where I grew up. Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you about Raleigh, North Carolina, um, or Cary, North Carolina. However, I currently live in Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, if you ever hear me say I live in D.C., it's because most people don't know where Silver Spring, Maryland is. And I can walk to D.C. from where I live. So <laughs> that's, that's why you hear that. There are two very cool uh, horror things that people often don't realize are in the D.C. area. And that is that I live very close to the woods where the Blair Witch Project was filmed. And I also live very close to the famous stairs from The Exorcist. Um, a lot of people just assume that those things were filmed in, you know, other big cities because not a whole lot is filmed in the D.C. area. But those were both around here. Past that, living in the South, a lot of the things I have to say about uh, the history of where I grew up are not fun or good because there's a lot of ra racist things that happened. Uh, so let's not do that and let's acknowledge that I live on indigenous land. Uh, so that said, uh, let's, we are talking a whole bunch and we're already 
almost 45 minutes into this, so let's ask a few more Onyx Pass-specific questions. And if we choose to, we can do a second part of this, because we have done that in the past. Uh, it's right. done after the break. Um, I ju just like to say about the horrible, horribly racist past and present of the American South. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember listening to an interview with Glenn Howerton of all It's Always Sunny mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. He he was saying about how he went to a high school called Jefferson Davis High School, mm -hmm. and I I had no idea that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there are high schools and institutions named after Confederates. It oh seems yeah, oh yeah, tons of utterly well yeah silly shall we say yeah. very very silly it's it's um in the south they like to say it's our history mm -hmm. My, it's i our... grew up in a family that was very big on the heritage not hate thing yep yeah. the heritage not hate i had and good I'm friends like, oh. uh i had good friends who were members of the daughters of the confederacy my oh, name is okay. literally dixie yeah yeah like well i think some people don't realize that they like think it's 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 a nickname like my yeah. my southern family named me dixie mm. that is my name i have thought about changing it for the reasons we were just talking about but nothing else feels like my name so instead i'm just going to try to make people think of a weird little green-haired goblin person um instead of the south when they hear my name it's, it's just it's just very strange to me because for instance uh scotland the scottish people mm -hmm. uh, for instance have a a fairly deep-seated and justified dislike, shall we say, of Edward I, King of England, known as Hammer of the Scots. He right. wasn't a terribly nice person, portrayed, of course, with utter historical accuracy in the movie Braveheart by Patrick McGowan. And uh, to the point that Edward is an incredibly uncommon name in in scotland and you're not going to find a pub called the king edward in scotland <laughs> because he is a figure of infamy due to the sheer number of people he yeah he, he he was responsible for the deaths of so yeah it's just stunning to me but, but anyway anyway th this isn't a question people asked i should shut my mouth no but i mean it is it is an interesting fact of growing up in the south which both d and i did mm. which is that like it was very normalized, and a lot of the normalization was done during the 60s, during yeah. segregation. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah. Like the, the, the 1960s, not the 1860s. Uh, and, and just before that, because they were trying to make it normal to revere, you know, these Confederates. And it's not normal. It's very strange. Mm. Uh, I, I don't like it, and I'm glad that we have lots of movements to get various statues taken down. And yeah. get lots of yes. renamed in the past, you know. Weirdly, in the past, like, three or to five years is when it's really gotten big. And I'm like, really? Just just now? We're just now going to do this? Okay. All right. Cool. Oh, man. So let's ask a much lighter question. I promise this one will actually be lighter. Yeah. <laughs> if you have to choose one author from any field, including RPGs, to co-write or develop a new game, who would you choose? This could be pie-in-the-sky authors, if you want. So a light. we want this to go a bit light. So not Adolf Hitler, author of Mein Kampf. <laughs> Why Matthew? Matthew. No, of course I wouldn't want to develop a game with Adolf. Uh, I, I was being, I was being silly. Um, Oscar Wilde would probably be a lot of fun. Ooh, I didn't even think about historical authors. Did did we? It. I mean, this is an author from any field. Are you going to co-write with a dead person? Is this historical? It seems like it's a a, a now question. Pie in the sky. Oh, well, in that case, uh, sorry, Oscar, I do not have the powers of necromancy, or I am not a spiritualist, I can't speak to his... I bet that would be torturous, wouldn't it, trying to get a full game system from a dead person via Ouija board or something? Uh, let's... <laughs> let's go for... <laughs> let's go for Michael Connolly, who is the author of the very popular Bosch series of crime novels. Uh, okay. I would like a good detective game uh, set in a, set in the modern era that doesn't uh, doesn't rely on supernatural elements to add that sort of spice. I'd like the procedural element, the actual grittiness of real homicide mm -hmm. investigation, and so on, to be what makes it interesting. And Michael Connolly has rendered 
Los Angeles, specifically Hollywood, in such interesting ways for me as a reader of his books that I feel he would be a wonderful addition to an RPG. That's awesome. What about you, Danielle? Lois McMaster Bijold. Okay. Uh, she is the author, like, first of all, lots of, like, sci-fi wrecks. Uh, she wrote all mm. of the Vorkosigan series. Um, she has some fantasy, like, series stuff. She has, like, a lot of good stuff. Um, but her ability to, like, shape a narrative and think about, like, the intricacies of, like, a cool, like, I don't know, cool reveals or mm -hmm. kind of hidden things that, you know, come to the fore at the end of a story and pulling all threads together is so tight that like having her work on like a setting section while I work on like a mechanical section, I think would be so freaking cool. Mm -hmm. my, so, yeah. my, my answers are all over the place because I, I cannot pick one person. I am, I am such a, a heavy reader and such a fan of various authors. It is very difficult to pick one person. I, I'm currently rereading the Stormlight Archive. So of course I got to say Brandon Sanderson. Uh, just because his world building is wonderful. Mm. Um, the Mistborn RPG already exists. Uh, it's by Crafty Games, although I think they recently stopped selling it online. I'm assuming there's a licensing deal that has ended. I have no idea, though, so don't take my word as gospel. Um, but the Crafty Games Mistborn uh, game is excellent, and also because he worked on it with them, provides a lot of extra lore to, this, to the, the, the series, which I think is kind of cool. Um, however, Stormlight Archive would be awesome. It's very exalted in how it feels already, like you're running around in artifact armor with giant blades fighting things. Um, <laughs> lots of big magic and, 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 and heroes and things like that. So uh, that, that's very cool. My personal kind of private answers would be uh, Emma Bull, who is an author that a lot of people don't know, um, but she wrote my all-time favorite urban fantasy novel, which is called War for the Oaks. I recommend this all the time to people. It, it 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 was written in and therefore set in the 80s, um, which I very much enjoy. It's set in Minneapolis, and it is about a mortal woman who gets caught up in a war between the Fey courts. Uh, so you could very easily do some of this with like Changeling the Lost. Um, in fact, I've I've thought about hacking it to play War for the Oaks, um, but that's one of my favorite books of all time, uh, and I've I've loved it since I was 12, maybe. I have a very worn copy of it that I have had for over 20 years. Uh, and I, I can't not mention Neil Gaiman, uh, cause he's one of my favorite authors of all time. And I know that we've talked about, uh, American Gods in relation to Scion and how that's, you know, definitely one of the inspirations, but he's written so many other books that I think would be really fun. I would love to do a Neverwhere RPG, which once again, is kind of like Changeling the Lost. Basically, I just want to make different hacks of Changeling the Lost, okay? Um, but with Neil Gaiman. But like with Neil Gaiman and Emma Bolt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mm. <laughs> uh, I like urban fantasy, but I also like big epic fantasy. So yeah, I would just love to work with, with, with any of those folks in any capacity. I would love to do something set in the Sandman universe. Yeah. Because that's wonderful and finally getting the adaptation it deserves. So yeah, there's 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 a lot that I would do if, if I could. Uh, of course... Good Omens is huge right now. That that would be fun. So I'd probably pick Neil Gaiman if I could pick anybody. But my 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 little personal ones are are also there and very valid. <laughs> That's a fun question. I like that question. Um, I think we are probably just going to do a second part of this when we come back, which means I can actually solicit some more questions if we want to. Okay. All of us talk for a while, and we are getting very near an hour, which is where we usually stop. Let's do a quick one, which is, Who Among You is the Best GM? by Norris McWhorter. Well, that would be unfair to say, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> I can say that. It's, it's not me. Well, I mean, we could all compliment each other. And, uh, for instance, I have played in games Danielle and Eddie have run. And Rich, for that matter. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I oh, enjoyed is it, is, it, is it who among us at Onyx Path then? <laughs> well, okay, among the hosts. Well, in that case, I'll say Danielle. Uh, Me. <laughs> though I will also say rather arrogantly, I think I'm a very good GM. Uh, but uh, only in the respect that I think I'm a much better GM than I am a player. I think that you two are also very different GMs for the most part. Most of what I've played with Danielle has been... Like, I haven't played much they came from with you, Matthew. But a lot of what I played with Danielle has been kind of like, 
it's fun and chaotic and like doing its own thing. Even the 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 LARP you ran at Midwinter the one time, D, mm-hmm. with the alternate mm-hmm. worlds, that was so much fun, but it was also very silly. And yes. Matthew, I think, hits the like more serious tone a little better. Um, because we all have things that we're good at, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody excels in different things. And Matthew having his long history with World of Darkness, I think, does that tone really, really, really well. You may be the only person who thinks that. <laughs> uh, pretty much well, everyone I, I run games for on my Patreon, I wouldn't say they complain, but they often remark that I I do not maintain a serious tone. <laughs> I think that's just because you've been doing this for a while. Yeah. I, I, I think I, you're capable of it. I I guess I am. I am for Red Moon role-playing, uh, yeah. for the sort of production-style role-play. If I really get my head screwed on right, I will do a very serious World of Darkness or cult game or Call of Cthulhu or something like that and keep it dry, uh, I guess, but with the occasional silly camp or uh, over-the-top NPC to break the tone a little. Uh, but I found increasingly, as I got older, as I've run more games, especially after I've spent so long in the world of darkness as a storyteller, that I have needed to come up for air uh, more and more. And so... With they came from, even with the world below, I make them a lot lighter than I used to. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that for Matthew and for me, like I can run a serious game if it's going to be like a chronicle, right, or like a long-term game session. But often, like one shots tend to wind up being a little sillier, just because yeah. people don't feel like their characters have a lot of stakes in what they're doing. Mm. Yeah, it becomes more about the actions than the yeah. characters. You want to do something yeah. memorable uh, in the three to four hours that you've got. Yeah. Also, I, I care less about a character in a one-shot, like, getting hurt or killed mm. or doing something ridiculous. Like, I I have noticed that, you know, I am I am more careful when I'm playing a long-form RPG. Yeah. Um. So, so like, if I'm playing a game that I know gonna, it's going to go on and on and on, I'm not going to make quite as many, like, risky decisions. But if I'm playing a one shot, like I am 1000% like opening the creepy door or investigating the strange noise or whatever. Like I am, I am striding forward, kicking through doors, doing everything I can to get in trouble because yeah. that's what is fun in a one shot, right? Mm. Like generally that is what is fun. So I am, you know, happy to play that part. I know that in, in some of the squeaks in the deep and other Pugmire stuff that Eddie ran on stream, like I was always the one who was like, I'm, I'm, I'm opening the door. We're not talking about this anymore <laughs> because I just want to move the story along since we yes. have such limited time. As a player, yeah. I have that impatience. And the problem is I have it in a campaign as well. I think that's what makes me struggle <laughs> as a player. Uh, I am very, doesn't matter on the type of character I'm playing either. And that's a flaw of mine as a player, I find it very difficult to sit still and talk over and over and over again about the plot and yeah. how we want to advance it when we could just open the damn door. <laughs> yeah, one of my D&D groups was very much like they really wanted to discuss everything to death. And I did not fit in as well with them as I wanted to be- because I am that person who is like, I'm frustrated. My character is frustrated. Yeah. You're just going to shoot the thing. And then I would do it. And then they'd all be horrified. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, we're just. That was the goddess of magic. Like, well, yeah. But, but like, we've been talking about this for the past half hour in real time. <laughs> and all that they said was like, something is approaching. And I'm like, okay, let's go find out what it is. Like, let's go do it. Um, so, yeah, I have, I, I have that same impatience as a player. Uh, which is which is why uh, you know p- p- people gel with certain groups and not others, and that's yeah. fine. Like yeah. some some groups want to discuss every single decision and come to like a specific agreement on it, and some groups want to just play off each other and do whatever. Mm. And that's 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 more what I enjoy is just people who are totally content to play off whatever weird shit other people did. Like yeah, and s- s- sadly we are at the age neat. Me being, you know, in, in my late 30s where most of my games do not get to be regular anymore because yeah. everybody has life stuff and children and job stuff and people get sick and whatever. And, you know, 
so I've I've not got to do that as regularly. Even my my online exalted game keeps getting moved around because of real life stuff, whether mm. it's illness or one of our uh, our our storyteller is a teacher, and he often has to do work at night because teachers are not compensated for all the work they do. And yeah, like what one of our players just posted in our Discord and was like, "I'm sick, we can't play tonight." And it's like, okay, moving plans, you know. Yeah. I think uh, now now that I've been thinking about it, the idea of running a game dark. Uh, I've been running Vampire the Requiem 2nd Edition for one of my Patreon groups, and it's made me realise, because it's been a while since I've ran Requiem, that my my darkness now comes through in a... And I don't compare myself to them at all, but in a sort of Coen Brothers sort of a way where to get the coterie together, for instance, or to get mm -hmm. characters interacting at the very start of the game, it's set in Las Vegas, and one of the characters is a sort of mafia, uh, I guess, fixer, and the other is a the owner of a limousine or chauffeur service. And one of the mafia guy has got to dispose of a body, he's been paid to dispose of a body, and so he's driving the body out to the Nevada desert where he's going to dig a hole and stick it in there. And the driver of the limo, or the owner of the limo service who has to emergency fill in for a chauffeur, uh, one of her passengers has a drug overdose, and the other passenger pays her to get rid of the body. And as coincidence would have it, they both end up at the same part of the Nevada desert at the end of the first session, sort of run into each other, both of them disposing of bodies simultaneously. And I think it's horrifying but it's also absurd. And I think that's the kind of horror I go for now, a the certain a, a certain wryness to it, that this is mm -hmm. ridiculous, but it's also grim. Uh, I mean, a that... lot of horror is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the thing about horror. Like, I think a lot of folks don't realize, or if they realize it, they might not have, have ever put it into words as a, a media literacy thing that horror and humor rely on the exact same format. Mm. The, the yeah. buildup of tension and then the release of said tension, right? And so in humor, the release of said tension is the punchline. And that's, you know, you like, you like build up, build up, build up, and you all get a laugh and you're done. With horror, it's usually something horrific happening. Mm. But also a lot of horror is ridiculous. Like I love the Purge films and TV shows and they're freaking ridiculous. <laughs> I have I have shown them all to my boyfriend, and now every now and then, one of us very very being very silly will go. It's my right because there's a guy who is yelling about how it's his right to purge, mm. um, and he does it in a very over the top hammy way. Uh, we make fun of the Saw movies, even though I've seen all ten of them and love them. Like, you know, horror is silly at its core, even if it's horrifying. Like, it's it's. It's it's weird. It's 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 over the top. It's ridiculous. These things don't happen in real life for the most part, you know. So yeah, I like my horror to be a little ridiculous. I'm gonna have time for one more question. Um, I'm looking at the spreadsheet and I'm having trouble reading this word. Um. Oh yeah, I can see uh, where you're highlighting. Yeah, can one of you help me with this one? Because it's it, it it just says what is and then a word. No, it's what is cruciform? Click caliform. Claymore. That's a, that's a kind of sword. I can tell you about claymores. Is that no? That's not what it's Crucible. It must be Crucible of Legends. Well, we no, but there's about no that legend. On the last episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just wondered if it was like an abbreviation. Yeah. So Ooh. I'm circumcision. I'm going to have to hold some of these questions until the next episode if we can get some clarity on this. Well, thanks, for, um, thanks to Gal Rukin for the question, though. Uh, uh, I mean, you've stumped all of us. I, yeah, yeah, I don't know what that is because I can't... I, I've never seen that word before. Yeah, maybe when Eddie's back for the second part of this, if, if, if he joins us, maybe he can help us out. I don't know. Good meat. Um, Somehow Gal <laughs> knew that I was going to be talking about pancetta. What is cured meat? <laughs> what is creme brulee? Um, oh, chocolate creme brulee. Yeah, fat, fatty meats filled with nitrates. I love nitrates. Mm. Spe spe speaking of horror, right? Fatty meats filled with nitrates. Ah! 
<laughs> so yeah, we're gonna hold some of these and have some fun on a future episode. I actually, I actually enjoy it when we get enough questions to make two episodes out of this because yeah. we like answering your questions and we don't like having to rush our answers. And also, we clearly love going off on tangents as we've done multiple times this episode. And it means you've got to tune into two episodes because if your question wasn't answered, well, now you've got to listen to the second one. Ha ha ha. So I hope you're all having a lovely break as you listen to this, because we are on break as this is dropping. Uh, and we will be back next week with probably some more answers. So thank you, everybody. Where can people find you, Matthew, if they want to talk to you or ask you more questions about creme brulee or cured meats? Or a cured meat creme brulee, yum, yum, yum. MatthewDawkins.com or on the Onyx Path Discord to ask me about my favorite pancetta creme brulee. I mean, Gross. I can see some like crispy pancetta on top of like a dark chocolate. Yeah. And brulee. I think you're a coward for not trying it. A little, a little salty sweet going on there. Mm -hmm. I could uh, put little crumbles of gorgonzola on a dark chocolate creme brulee. I think that okay. would be over overdoing it. Whatever, that would be so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dee, if people want to talk to you about your pancetta gorgonzola dark chocolate creme brulee recipe that you're working on, uh, yeah, where mm -hmm. would they do so? Uh, Onyx Path Discord and uh, my website, daniellozon.com. You can ask me questions. Um, and of course, uh, I am everywhere on social medias as at Impernius. You can find me pretty much everywhere as Dixie Cyanide. Dixie is my real name, Cyanide is not. Uh, you can find me on the Onyx Path Discord as always. You can find us everywhere at the Onyx Path, theonyxpath.com. And as always, many worlds, one path guest. <laughs>